Once again, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio, broadcasting across the, across the globe for nine years now, discussing sex, power, politics, and religion, all those things nice girls were told not to bother their pretty little heads with in the South where I grew up. Yes, uh, that's what they taught us in the Bible Belt of New Orleans. But think about it. Who did that serve? Certainly not me or the women I grew up with. But, you know, we got smart, we got a clue, and uh, we started taking responsibility for our own education. We didn't settle for what they wanted us to know, uh, the stuff that they taught us at the dining room table or the pulpit. No, indeed not. That wasn't enough. There was a whole lot more we needed to know, and we sure do now, and we're all sharing it. We're shouting it from the rooftops because information can change the world. Yes, indeed it can. Well, thank you, listeners, for being with me again tonight uh, on our special show, uh, making up for our uh, technical difficulties last week. And I'm so glad to have with me uh, tonight uh, Michelle Hart, and we're going to be talking about Enheduana, uh, who was the uh, first non-anonymous author of all literature. And uh, that was actually a woman, a poetess, a priestess, of Mesopotamia. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun uh, to be talking about her tonight. And uh, in honor of um, Enheduanna of Mesopotamia, that uh, area of Inanna and Ishtar, uh, that song you heard was by Zingaya, and the cut was called Veil of Inanna. So thank you, Zingaya, for your great music. Well, um, when I finish my chat with Michelle, uh, stay with me. Uh, We're going to go into the second half of the show with a little information about the Pope and uh, Bernie Sanders and some other inspirational stuff. But uh, that's for later, just to let you know, uh, not to go anywhere, to get comfortable, grab a glass of wine, a cup of tea, sit down, relax, uh, or you know what, maybe you're doing the dishes or washing the clothes or helping the kids with homework, whatever you're doing, enjoy the show. Because um, Michelle Hart is with me. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Karen. So glad to have you with me, and um, I want to introduce you and tell folks about you by way of your bio. 
Uh, Michelle Hart, uh, she is one of a handful of experts on the Mesopotamian princess, priestess, and poetess, and Hed Yuana, who was the first non-anonymous author of all literature. In 1996, when Michelle first learned about Enhed Yuana, she was shocked that there was so little written about her. She felt called to unearth this important feminine leader and share her with the world via the Internet and video. She since created the only website solely devoted to researching Enhed Yuana, as well as the only documentary about her, which is available for all to see on YouTube. Then, inspired by Enheduana's theological and political accomplishments, Michelle actually weaves Enheduana's marketing brilliance into her creative business, coaching with priestesspreneurs and cutting-edge coaches to help them spread their message and reach more clients using video. Michelle's worked 20 years in the film industry and is thrilled to be using the medium of video to help these women change makers spread empowering images and voices of the feminine to uplift the planet. And um, I should say that uh, Michelle, um, next, uh, let's see, I think it's next Saturday, but uh, the 26th of September, I believe. I don't have the calendar mm-hmm. in front of me. I'm going by memory here, but I think You're that's right. right. I Thank you, Michelle. Uh, Michelle is actually going to be... Um, at the Venice Library. She is our Joseph Campbell Roundtable speaker for the month. And um, for those of you who are local, you get the advantage of uh, hearing her talk about Inhejuana and see some of her visual aids and uh, ask questions. So if uh, you are in the Southern California area, you want to make sure you don't miss this this rare opportunity to meet Michelle and hear about Inhejuana firsthand. And it's going to be at the Venice Library in Venice Beach, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., and it is totally free because that's how the Joseph Campbell Roundtables operate, continuing education uh, to uplift us and make us aware and um, ah, just uh, nourish and enrich our lives. So, Michelle, thank you so much for being on the show tonight and uh, for doing the roundtable. I'm so glad to have you with me. Oh, I'm delighted to be here with you, Karen. Thank you. And Looking forward to the round table uh, as well. Well, you know, they've been pretty popular. I'm, I'm really happy the way they've been going, and uh, uh, I think they've been a success. And, um, you know, in, in all the great speakers, you're, I, I know you're going to be another one. Uh, you know, people have just been saying uh, wonderful things, and I'm just happy that uh, I can bring something new and different to the library over there, you know, because uh, they're doing yeah. wonderful things like yoga and registering people to vote and you know, teaching mm-hmm. them about gardening and all of those sorts of things. But this is a little different, you know. This, um, um, mm-hmm. you know, this, this is a different kind of education, and uh, I'm, I'm so glad it's been so well received. But anyway, and Hedjuana. So first of all, uh, have I been pronouncing it correctly? Um, you pronounce it. I would say your pronunciation isn't any more right than mine. Mine is Hedjuana. But you do okay. you pronounce the you very specifically, and I don't see why you either would be right or wrong, if you know what I mean. <laughs> we probably don't really know. Is is that it? Because exactly. We, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So so in in Hedwana, though, um, is That's is how how you're saying it. That's how I say it. Yes. Okay. Well, how did how did you find? 
um, you know, how did you find her to begin with since she was so so well hidden and, you know, yeah. tucked beneath the, the sands of time apparently so well? <laughs> yes, she was she was um, hiding. Well, no, she wasn't hiding. She just had been sort of looked over. And I was actually interested in Mary Magdalene, and I was interested in the sacred prostitute archetype that I had just heard about this book. And it's a tiny little union book, and she was talking about the first known sacred prostitute was Enhedwana. And oh. I was like, I was like, what? And so I... She, you know, that the scholars of ancient Near East would never call her a sacred prostitute, but, you know, we don't know exactly what her role was in that department. However, I was grateful that she had been discovered already by this Jungian uh, therapist who'd written this little book saying, quoting uh, a little bit of Enhedwana's um, writings, and she had quoted her as saying, I and Hedwana, high priestess of the moon god, and I, I literally had a, an electrical current go through me, and I felt like, what? My my whole system lit up, and I thought, who is this woman talking in the first person? And I I felt completely like she was saying hello to me, like literally <laughs> saying hello to me. <laughs> Well, I, I know you put an awful lot of time into um, yeah. bringing her to uh, uh, women's studies at UCLA, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, she was really the focus of a lot of your work for a few years, wasn't she? Yes, she was. I was completely obsessed, I would say, with researching her because there was really, there was only one book that was a translation of her famous poem with some information about her. Other than that, I mean, I was following the, the, the footnotes, just trying to find every single mention of her, and there were just little, a few sentences here in this book, and a few sentences here, and there was hardly anything on the net. I mean, it was at the time, back then, 97, when I, or whatever year I gave you, I can't remember, is it 96 or 97? I was like, whoa, there's just nothing on this woman. Nothing. And now, of course, she's mentioned all over the place, and this, you know the the discs that they found of her. This archaeological uh, find uh, artifact is now in art history books. Ancient the ancient art. It's, okay. It's included in, yeah. So she's well, made it. Well, let me ask she's you this before I forget, um, Michelle. You said um, you know potentially sacred prostitute. Well. And and look, right. at any time during the show here, I get anything wrong, feel free to correct me. I don't take that personally. Sure. I'd rather I'd rather get it right. Um, you know, there's this you know in uh, you know there's this dearth of information out there about what temple priestesses really were about, mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. we, we hear that Aphrodite priestesses were temple prostitutes, and we don't really mm-hmm. know what that meant. You know, it could yeah. very well have been you know back then when there weren't the sexual taboos, they realized the ecstasy of sacred union between man and woman and you know maybe mm-hmm. even uh it, it was a connection to god you know in their ecstasy and their orgasm or whatever it is um right so so uh, and and we think we know or maybe we do know that these ancient temple priestesses believed sometimes that they were actually um 
you know, it, you know, maybe using a male uh, a male priest, um, they would actually have intercourse, and it was a sort of uh, a reenactment of actually having sex with the god because it was a good thing to. Um, I guess be fruitful and you know it was all about uh, making sure you know the people uh, were fertile and the land was fertile so people could eat Mm -hmm. Um, I mean is all is all of this accurate yes um, there's there's all in in Edwana's case she would not have been considered a temple priestess she was you know that term she would she would be considered like the pope of her time. I hate to use that kind of you know image, but it's like the high priestess of the land, pretty much. And so the sacred marriage with regard to her was she would possibly have slept with the king. That would make his rulership authentic. Uh, she may have. And then there was a special room where she lived in the Giparu, which was the name of the temple that she lived in, where half of it was her uh, quarters, and the, the other half was a temple to the goddess Ningal, who was the, god, the, the, the wife of the moon god. So she and Hedwana was actually the embodiment of Ningal at certain times when she wore the special horned um, crown and was reenacting the goddess, and ah. so right in the Giparu, the, the area of the Ningal temple, there's the sort of sacred cella, little chamber where the statue of Ningal was, and off to the left of of that chamber was a room with a bed, and so there's all this speculation that the sacred, you know, act this, you know the sacred marriage or the sacred act that was going on in there involved some sort of sex and whether she was reenacting sleeping with the god. We don't really know how this occurred, whether there was a priest who did it. There's really a lot of um, new information, so to speak, if we go into the whole domain of um, the gods were not really gods; they were from another planet. That's a whole other area. <laughs> the of, ancient uh, alien stuff. <laughs> the ancient alien theory. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, let me ask you before I, because I want to know how we know what we know, and I want to yeah. ask you how old this all is. But before we do, okay. I don't know if you're familiar with an artifact in the British Museum. I think it is, and I have no idea whether it's even related to an Hedwana. But let me ask you because when you said um, sacred prostitute, there's a there's mm-hmm. a, a green uh, there's a I think it's made out of faience, that green sort of, um, gl- um, you know, glazed clay, and it's called mm-hmm. the Lady in the Window. And mm-hmm. I, I ju- you know, I have no idea because it's. I think it's from this part of the world, but I wonder if it's at all related to an Hedwana or not. Do you have any idea? You know what? I don't know anything about that. Um, okay. The late, the Lady in the Window. Now I'll, I'll look that up, but I don't know what that is i can tell you that there was um there is a archaeologist uh scholar of ancient near eastern studies who did a uh he researched 
the economical tablets um, that were surrounding the installment of an end priestess. Because the end priestess at Ur was so important that the year that whenever she was, a new one was installed, that became the name of the year. It was the year that Enhedwana became the high priestess. That would be a very special, that would be the, the name of the year. That, that's how the year was, was um, notated as, or it would be the year that a certain king did something. But those years when, the Nenhed, when an end priestess was installed, they had all this data, like all these economical tablets, the cuneiform tablets, saying all the different things that were purchased for these ritual installations. And one was always purchase of a bed and all these things that went around this ritual that involved a bed. And so hmm. that's how one of the reasons they know that when she was installed, there was a very big ritual. And so we know for sure that something occurred when she was installed, and then there could have been other times the bed was part of it also. And you called her an N priestess, so an E-N. Yes. So it's probably not a coincidence that her name starts with E-N. Yes, exactly. The E-N is exactly that says her title. That's the title part of her name. And Hedwana means ornament of On, the sky god. Hmm. So, so she was, <laughs> yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it makes me think of orm candy, you know. Um, ah. it, it, you know. When you translate it, um, ornament of the sky god, it's kind of like ancient uh, orm candy. That's terrible. <laughs> well, or the jewel, you know, um, you know, there's different ways of translating it. It's, it's actually seen as a sign of reverence because even Inanna herself was called uh, Hedwana at times. Like because, well, yeah. Well, she was the jewel in his crown. You know, that's a nicer way to put it, I think. Yes, the jewel of of his, you know, heart almost. It's like he, she's that special. Nice, nice. All right, so how how far back does this date? Um, Because I know we're Uh, talking Mesopotamia, but how far back? Yes, she she is around 2300 BCE. So we're talking 5,000 years ago. Yeah. Or four. Four, four. And now, you know, with ISIS raging through the Middle East, and we know, uh, I mean, this this would have been probably in the area of Iran or Iraq, right? Yes. I mean, Iran and Iraq are ancient Mesopotamia. Absolutely. Wow. In fact, the temple temple that you lived in is in Iraq. Because otherwise, I would have gone to Iran because you can't. I couldn't go to Iraq. I was in Turkey, but never. I couldn't get any closer to her when I was there. So, to, what city? Uh, what na- You know, is there a city we would recognize the name that is either the you know the city of ancient times or close to the city of ancient times? Yes, there is. Um, let's see. I think it's. Uh, I should know this. Uh, it's been a while since I was. Or is, um, let's see, they're saying, uh, it's in southern Iraq, and it's right at the mouth of the Euphrates, 
well, no, no, sorry, not then. Um, so I can't find the exact name of the city right here. Well, that's okay. Maybe you can post it yeah. on my Facebook page later. But, yeah, but we know sure. Iran or Iraq and those ziggurats that we see, um, you know, would that have been what her temple looked like? Well, the ziggurat was actually uh, Nana's temple. The moon god had a ziggurat, and Enhedwana lived in a, a Giparu temple. So it, it, it didn't have the st- it didn't look like a ziggurat, but it was, you know, a big, huge temple complex. Okay. But, okay. Yeah, and they're saying the name of the city is Tel El Mukayar. Okay. <laughs> Tel. How, how do you spell that? Um, I'll put it on your Facebook page. It's it's T E L L and then E L dash N U Q A Y Y A R. Okay. All right. Yeah, that way, if anybody, I, you know, because I find it so interesting that you know here. Were the you know the ancient lands of of goddess and priestesses, and it's it's so much in the headlines these days. And I think some people yeah. don't realize that you know we think of it just being a Muslim country, and maybe it's always been a Muslim country. Well, no, you know these no. places were were homes to go, you know was were the home to goddess. And mm-hmm. um, you know we can't forget that. It and it's mm-hmm. just a shame that. Um, I guess so much of it is uh, is off limits these days. Um, do we know no. if there there were any uh, remnants left of, uh, of of her temples, or or, or were they all completely uh, destroyed yes, over are. time? Uh, you know what? I have um, pictures, photographs in my documentary of what's left, and okay. it's not a lot, but it's the foundational. So they 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 have they were able to create. Um, you know, a, a blueprint of how the rooms were, which were where she slept, where she bathed, you know, where the temple, how the temple was set up for the, where they ate, there's, you know, uh, where the kitchens were, all of that. Okay. Like and I, I know when I, I taught Cakes for the Queen of Heaven, one of the points that we always uh, were, were told to make, um, you know, mm-hmm. in the in the research was in, you know, uh, back during this time, you know, during these temple complexes when, you know, there were priestesses that ruled over these um, these rich temple complexes, you know, th- this was a time in history along with maybe like Knossos or some places in Egypt where women fared very well. There was female la- leadership, and she's an example yes. of that, it, correct? Oh, yes, absolutely. She was... There, and the, the end priestesses were very much uh, revered and they were considered untouchable. And that's why, um, you know, when she, is, when she mentions she was expelled from the temple, that's a historical fact about her personal life that normally an end priestess of her stature would not mention in a, in a piece of writing. And here it's recorded for all time that she admitted to this to being expelled when she was considered um, untouchable. I mean, it was that so, important. Well, when you say untouchable, do you mean that, you know, she was celibate? Or uh, oh, what do you mean okay. by yeah. untouchable? Untouchable meant that no matter who was ruling, whether it was an Akkadian king or a Sumerian king, you see, she was Akkadian, her father was Akkadian, and he was trying to merge the Sumer and Akkad together. He placed her, his, her king, Sargon, 
placed her in this role of high priestess of Sumer, and no matter who was ruling at the time, she would never have been displaced at all. She would have been oh. stayed put. But then there was a situation in, back then that a, a, a warring king, a Sumerian king, wanted to be king, and she said no to him because she had the power to veto who could be king. And because she said no, he normally would have just had to leave, but he decided, no, I am going to take over and be king. And he expelled her to another temple in the desert. And she writes about this in her most famous poem, Nin Mishara, and it is the most, one of the most popular pieces of Sumerian literature that exists. There were over 100 copies found. And wow. um, that's pretty phenomenal for that. And there could be dozens more, but, you know, the archaeology had to be halted, so we don't know what else is buried over there and if it still even exists. Well, yeah, when you think about it in these ancient times, to have found a hundred copies, you know, that mm-hmm. probably means there were a thousand copies, you know. It very uh, well could be. You see that? And that, it was in cuneiform was, writing, I guess? That's right, cuneiform writing on clay tablets, and the scribes were... Uh, the, the, who were learning cuneiform because it was very hard to learn. It's it's not an easy language to learn. It was the, one of the first, you know, they don't know if it was the first or the second written language, but it's pretty much considered the first. Could have been Egyptian as well. Could have been considered the first. There's always this debate about that. But uh, it was very difficult. Only the scribes and priestly classes could actually write and read. And in order to learn the language, they used her poem because it was considered a sacred document because of the historical implication when she was writing it she there were nine battles raging at the time between the Sumerians and Akkadians and her nephew was king at the time and she was expelled and she created this incantation and you know committed it to tablet and soon after there's historical data to prove the the Sumerians um had to retreat and you know you know the empire resumed and peace was across the land and she was reinstated hmm. and people thought that she was responsible not so much the king but her power to talk to the gods through the writing she was wow Anna and all the different gods in this piece she was trying to she was trying to create peace in this poem Wow. Now, you when you call her the first non-anonymous author. That's because there was writing before her, but we don't have yeah. the name of the author. Is that correct? That is correct. At the time, the scribes were anonymous. They were just in service to the kings, and they did not have a personality of their own. And Hedwana was a priestess who also was a poet, and so she decided to name herself in her writing. She writes personally about her own situation, which has never been done before. So she really was breaking all the rules back then, and she was she was positioning herself and including her own personal and exposing herself. It's very authentic, and this is why I think she was an amazing marketer, was because she positioned herself. She had... A, perspective of, you know, she had a mission to create a theology of unity to to bring everyone together 
And to have Inanna be the top of the pantheon, she also had this feminine divine mission. And she exposed herself and was very transparent. And I really think that that was part of the power that she had, was that she was willing to, you know, be real and share what was really going on and share her plight because she was basically wanting support because she'd been kicked out. Right, right. You know, so I just see that as, you know, today when we have all these mediums to, to share our message, you know, being transparent is part of, is a very powerful way to lead and not to just be status quo and, and just trying to bulldoze everyone with your with your message. You know, she wasn't trying, she was just saying, hey, you know, I'm willing to share where I'm at, which is not a pretty sight. Because back yeah. then they said if you if you're getting expelled, then there's you've probably contributed to that. You know the gods are punishing you for a reason. But she was willing to to expose all that. I just think that that's powerful lessons for marketing. And well, she's yeah, very, and that, that that takes a lot of courage. I mean that that was. You know, because, uh, I mean, let's not forget these were, a war was going on. This was politics. This was life or death. You know, mm-hmm. um, this this was serious stuff. It wasn't, um, you know, something minor that she just decided to expose a few secrets. Exactly. 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 And, and you know, the, 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 the spiritual sort of domain, they didn't really include politics normally when they were doing their writings. I mean, it was just, she just included everything, her personal situation, the politics, the, the spiritual, and she was doing this, um, she was trying to gather all the gods to together, actually. She was actually trying to bring them together as a team because, you know, back then, you know, the warring leaders were saying, oh, well, this god said that we're in the right, and this, but our god is saying this. They had all different city gods that they were, um, you know, they had their patron god, and then they would sort of fight each other and say, have the gods fighting each other. So she was trying to get everyone to work together and not exclude anyone and still promote Inanna an, an at the top. It was very skillful. Interesting. And, and, that, um, and, and we know all of that because of her writings that survive. Exactly, exactly. She she had um, a whole corpus of uh, temple hymns that she'd written a hymn to every single temple and then put all of those together as the temple hymns. It's like she did the first compilation ever also. She she was the mastermind behind that idea. Well, okay, of- so we know she was a writer. We know she was a priestess. We know she was high-placed, high-born, you know, courageous, smart, all of that sort of stuff. But do we do we know anything about her, the woman, aside from, you know, her being tenacious and courageous? I mean, do we mm-hmm. was she married? Did she have children? Um, how, you know, do we know? Uh, I think her father was King Sargon, right? Right. That's and right. and, know and that. did you know how did she die? Do we know anything like that? We don't. We don't know. We uh, most likely she didn't have children and she wasn't married. As the end priestess, you pretty much were the you were the human wife of the of the moon god. So there was no. Um, I don't think that they were married. The end priests and priestesses. Okay. Um, and, yeah. and do we do um, the writings say anything about the 
you know, the rituals or the practices or anything like that? Um, her writings don't really say that. I mean, the disc that was found with her image on it, which is another reason um, she was, I consider her to be an amazing marketer, is that she had this beautiful round uh, clay disc created with her as the high priestess in a ritual, overseeing a ritual. And she was, I think she is um, in the disc seen uh, overseeing uh, a new priest who's pouring libation onto a plant stand. And next to it, there's a, a stepped table, which I think was being offered to the god on. So she has two priestesses behind her and um, there's a, there's an image of her. So she actually knew how important to have her image, um, you know, in, preserved. And it's still, right. and it, it, it was, though the disc was broken, they were able to restore it. So she hmm. survived on that level also. So in a way, it's like she um, she knew the importance of, oh, I hate this word because it has a negative connotation. I just don't know one that would have a positive one. But in a sense, it was sort of political propaganda in a sense, It was or self-promotion. Well, yes. I mean, she. that's why I think of her as a marketer. Like she understands the value of um, promoting yourself in a way to be remembered and to be um, – because back then the scribes were in Sumerian, they were they were anonymous, and they weren't mm-hmm. really they didn't have the the power to be leaders. But she did, and she is the first named uh, high priestess of Ur, and they have five hundred years worth of the names of these high priestesses. She's the very first one, and she's the mm. most famous. And the reason she's wow. famous is that she made sure she was remembered. She had to, you know, you have to sort of value what you're offering. It's kind of like, I mean, you've written three books now, Karen? Like, yeah, you're an, an expert. anthology, yeah, yeah. Right? You yeah. know, she did an anthology as well. She, we could consider her temple hymns as an anthology. So, you know, you have to, you have to put your name on what you do. Otherwise, right. how would we know it was you? You know, right, so right, right. I don't see it as as neg as propaganda, really. I mean, it, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah. We're, we're not, well, It's like standing in your value and just letting people know, hey, I did this, and I'm sharing my ideas with you. Right. You know, and you know, and I should say, you know, the where I where I pulled that idea of propaganda out of my head was I remember watching a documentary about how art changed the world. And they talked mm-hmm. about how kings because the, yeah. you know, their people couldn't read, you know, they yeah. would chisel all of their accomplishments in picture form on walls and things so that they would be remembered and the people would know what happened. And and in that documentary, in a way, they said that this was the, um, you know, they called it propaganda. But really, it could just be documenting history. And, you know, I mean, yeah. Exactly. No, there's a fine dance there because, you know, they were the kings. And, you know, they were important, and it was a way of sharing their accomplishments. So people, it was like getting the news back then, basically. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? 
Um, and good thing they did, or we wouldn't know what in the world happened back then. <laughs> so um, now, where does Inanna and Ishtar play into this, if at all? Okay. Well, Sargon was Akkadian. The Akkadians were, um, were um, they believed in Ishtar, the, the um, Semitic goddess, and then the Sumerians, goddess was Inanna and they Enhid one is actually responsible for bringing the two together so she was actually trying to work that in too is to syncretize so that you know that they all share the same goddesses and gods right right all right now this is going to be a dumb question so forgive me but you said I think Inanna was the Semitic goddess Did, is that what you said Inanna no Ishtar, Ishtar. was the Semitic Mm-hmm. All right, so when you say Semitic, is that like Hebrew or Jewish, the early Hebrew yeah. or Jewish? Yes, that was before, you know, the, the, that's the lineage, absolutely. Before, yeah. yeah. So so that would have been the ancestors of the Hebrews and the Jews, yeah. the, the yeah. Semitics. Now, okay, now this might be crazy, but okay, so that was that was Ishtar. Um, mm-hmm. Is the the people who were um, revering Inanna, they mm-hmm. wouldn't have been the ancestors of the Palestinians, would they? No, they wouldn't. Actually, that's the mystery of the Sumerians. You see, and uh, the reason we we didn't actually know how to read Sumerians for the longest time. It had to be the code had to be cracked. And that was only because on the Rosetta Stone, there was Egyptian, Akkadian, and Sumerian, I believe. And so they used those other languages to crack the code of Sumerian because Sumerian has no antecedent. It's sort of a language that just sort of burst out of nowhere. Hmm. And this is where... where yeah, the ancient alien theory comes in. <laughs> well, that's the well. Let's go there for a minute, you know, because okay. um, I I I know the people who do the ancient alien stuff on TV. They they kind of play fast and loose with the facts sometimes. But you know uh-huh. we can't. You know we we have to admit that you know that ancient alien stuff is popular. It's uh, yeah. almost a, a secular religion, uh, in a right. sense. I, I mean, so many people believe that there's. Uh, some kernels of truth and maybe possibilities there. Um, yep. Where does where can you draw the connection between the I guess the Sumerians and the ancient alien stuff? Well, I mean, they many of them concur from different different uh, ways of accessing this ancient alien material. Um, I mean, Zechariah Sitchin, you know, is the most academic, I would say, of the ancient alien theorists. And um, he, his theory was that the Sumerian gods were actually aliens from the Pleiadian, you know, planets. And they were not actual gods. They were physical beings. So and that would mean Inanna was a, a, an hmm. ancient alien. Yes. Probably. Exactly. Exactly, hmm. and they brought all these inventions, and that's why there was such a tremendous growth in, um, like, industrialization, so to speak. Early early technologies were all born in Mesopotamia. The wheel, writing, 
uh, astronomy. They had the most advanced astronomy that they have found tablets, cuneiform tablets, talking about the elliptical path of different planets. I mean, I went and studied, uh, I, I took a course on uh, Mesopotamian astronomy, and they don't have any clue how these tablets knew how to, had these special formulas to calculate these trajectories of planets. All this very advanced information comes out of nowhere, right all around the same time. Mm. Oh, there's a time machine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's why the ancient, the ancient alien theory is possible, because there's no other way to understand this stuff, and most archaeologists just gloss over it because they can't, they have no under, they have no explanation for it. So I used to sort of skip over it myself, and now I'm kind of like, well, maybe there's truth to this, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, when we know some people, you know, make some of these claims at some of these conferences and things, but it's mm-hmm. really hard to, um, you know, you ca- you kind of have to, uh, listen to it and realize that um, you know they're they're making some hypotheses that they can't particularly prove, but no. um, but but you know they're they're you never know there may be some kernels of um, of of truth somewhere of you know truth. and exactly. we just don't have enough well, information. It's just interesting how there are people who channel, you know that are channeling this sort of information that corroborates it, you know, with Zechariah interpretations of translating these Sumerian tablets and getting his information that way, you know, and even though none of the ancient Eurasian scholars would ever credit his his work, um, yeah. but there's all these different people do, coming at it from different ways, and they're agreeing with each other. So it's just, it's definitely worth... Uh, not skipping over and, and including in the dialogue. Yeah, it's. I, I think Michael Cremo maybe it was wrote a book on forbidden mm. history, and you know, yes. and, and I think I think that's why sometimes I'm willing to entertain these ideas because look, yes. I grew up the first thirty years of my life and didn't know anything about goddess, you know, and then yes. sudden, suddenly you discover stuff, and you know, today we may know something that no nobody, you know, not many people knew yesterday, and um, I don't know, you know, I just like to keep an open mind because I, I also I mean we know how how um, narrow-minded academia can be and yeah. oftentimes things academia knows takes 15 years to get out into the mainstream public and you right. know and I can't help but think about Maria Gimbutas I mean look how she was uh, vilified and marginalized right. so what right. if you know what if Zachariah Sitchkin you know what if it's sort of the same thing you know I know, exactly. Really don't know. They just might be so cutting edge and ahead of the time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that that is what, you know, that's the, the downfall of, of academia poo-pooing things that they don't have evidence for. And yet their credit is when they actually do prove something, then it's kind of like, oh, they found the, uh, the evidence to support these claims that were made, you know, decades earlier. But at least it's there. So everybody is ultimately working together to to find the truth. Right, right. Yeah, and you know, it, 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 
it bugs me about academia. You know, they get entrenched in these uh, these ideas, and you know, maybe yeah. it's about careers and, and ego. But I mean, are they teachers committed to the truth? You know, and really uncovering history, or are they about themselves? You know, and I, unfortunately, it's probably the latter rather than the former. But could be a little of both, a little sprinkling of both. Um, I, I know that you know because in order to actually translate Sumerian, my God, it's just so tedious the work that they do. So it's sort of like this single-minded focus, and uh, it's hard to have the big picture when you're really trying to, like, translate economic, hundreds of economic tablets and trying to find, you know, find some evidence to prove different theories. Like, it's a really difficult way to find the truth. Yeah, very painstaking. Well, well, the yeah. artifacts, you know, like the tablet you talked about and all of these original pieces, um, you know, where do they live? I mean, please tell me they're not in, like, the Iraq Museum. Um, are they in the British Museum, or do do you know where they are? Are they safe? Well, uh, th- yes, Enhedwana's tablets are in seven different museums around the world. And that's how it works with these ancient antiquities is that they're spread all over the place. You know, there's um, in the States and Germany, you know, Berlin and England and um, even Turkey and possibly Iraq. I don't know if she was able to get tablets from there, but um, the woman that um, wrote a dissertation about the same poem that I said the, the, that first book on in Hedwana was, she... Um, she went to these seven different museums to see all hundred versions of the poem. And she studied all the discrepancies to make sure, you know, to see which ones were errors, because which one is the real poem, you know? These are scribes learning to write, and they're copying this poem. And, uh, you know, who's to say which is the right word, you know? So she studied them all. Wow. And unbelievable. And made notes on what, you know, the differences, basically. Hmm. So that she could get the most accurate translation of the poem. She translated it herself, also. And wow. came wow. up with this. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, that's devotion. And, and what was her name again? Uh, Annette Skall. Dr. Annette Skall. She lives in Leipzig. Germany, and I got to meet her and and interview her for my documentary. So, um, does I mean, can you find her book on Amazon? I mean, does it still? Um, well, did she write a book? book? Yes, she wrote. Her dissertation was a book, but it was in German, and I oh. had yes, I paid a thousand dollars with three other and Hedwana fans like myself that I had attracted through my website. We split the cost, and this is back, I mean, that translation would be probably double at this point because this was back in, you know, the late 90s. So who knows what it would cost now to translate it. And it was only 100 pages of actual, the rest was all the copies of the tablets and all that data. And so we spent $1,000 to translate it, and 
it still was hard to understand. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. He, well, I remember I've read some of it, and it and it all sort of reads like poetry, doesn't it? I mean, it's not like reading a novel or a a, a oh, nonfiction the, book. No, it's more poetry like, I think, what I remember. You mean the poem itself? I meant the the book that the, Dr. Skull had written. Um, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah you're, you're right, you're right, I, I, yeah. I got sidetracked. <clears throat> so so you, no, yeah, so you guys translated the, the German book, Would, yeah. that was dedication. Oh, that was dedication, and, and, and the translator said to me, she goes, do you want me to translate this um, the way it was written, or do you want me to translate it in a way that you'll understand? And I said, oh, please, in a way that I'll understand, because she had to translate the academic German into sort of, lay English, and then it was still really hard to understand, so I got to, I studied this translation, and then wrote hundreds of questions, and then when I met and got to interview Annette Skull, I asked her all my questions, and it was really helpful. (laughs) (laughs) So um, So now tell me, you have a video and a website. How do people access this um, you know, because uh, I can imagine that people just learning about uh, Enhedwana are going to be excited to, uh, you know, go back yeah. and, and see the pictures and learn more. Yes. Well, the documentary I have on my YouTube channel, so if you just go to YouTube and type in Michelle Whiteheart or if you type in Enhedwana, it probably will come up first or second. Um, I don't have the exact link. It's sort of a funky link. Um and then um, my website for Antedwana is an old website at this point. It's an Angel Fire website. So if you do angelfire.com forward slash M-I, as in Michelle, forward slash um, Antedwana, there is the website. And then I also have, which I think is really fun, is um, on my video coaching marketing website, I have a priestess um, branding workbook that is inspired by Enhedwana. And it's just a way to integrate, you know, the lessons of Enhedwana and her marketing ability um, uh, into, you know, how to market yourself and how to Hmm. connect to your uh, inner high priestess when you market yourself. And that's at michellewhiteheart.com forward slash um, uh, priestess branding workbook. Nice. Do I have that? Priestess Um, guide to video branding. Yeah. So, um, what is there anything we should know about uh, uh, Enhedwana? Um, that I haven't asked you. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm afraid I've maybe, you know, missed some of the important points. Um, well, let's see. Um, no, you really covered a lot, actually, uh, Karen. Um, I think. Um, what else is there? Another well, one important fact, actually, just another historical piece of information that I think is really fun is that um, they discovered um, about, well, I don't know how long ago now, it's been about 10 years, I suppose, or not even quite 10 years, they found another cylinder seal 
um, that had and had Wanda's name on it. And the cylinder seal was how everyone signed their name. And it was carved in a precious stone in reverse so that when you rolled it on clay, and they wore them as necklaces, they're like a big bead, and they would roll it on clay when they were signing their name on a, you know, a tablet or a document, you know, a clay document mm-hmm. or an economic tablet. And they found what they found four that relate to Enhedwana's courtiers, as they call it. One was her hairdresser, one was her scribe, one was um, her major domo, and then they found another one, you know, in the last 10 years uh, in a private collection in New York. And I remember interviewing Dr. William Hallow, and he was so excited when this happened because he's the one who wrote the first book, you know, translating her poem. And he says, you know, in my documentary, he says, you know, they don't, they don't have cylinder seals for fictitious people. You know, <laughs> this is a real person. And, she, and then he says she must have been very important to have at least four courtiers have cylinder seals with her name on it. Like that was very high level. Not everyone had their own <clears throat> cylinder seal. It was pretty special to have one. Well, so and you just, wonder, okay, where my mind goes with this and with uh, in Hedwana, was she living in a time when it was normal for this high-level women woman's leadership? And, yes, of course she was important, but it wasn't like, you know, she was, um, you know, an anomaly. You know what I mean? Because you said she was the first of 500 and priestesses, oh, I think. Not 500, sorry, not 500 and priestesses, but um, 500 years they have recorded the name of the end priestess. They have oh, a record okay. of every single one over a period of 500 years. But that would be a lot, though, right? I mean, over 500 yes, that years. Be, that would be, I think it's about 26 names. Does that make sense? God. How many? You said what? You said 26? Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. Because what you figure yeah. each one lives forty or fifty years, kind of a thing. Yes, and she lived actually into her seventies, probably. Okay. Okay. All right. So just to get this straight again, okay, she's mm-hmm. Sumerian, right? No, mm-hmm. no, no, no. She's Akkadian. Well, no, she was Akkadian. That's right. But she was um, she was planted in in Ur, in in, in the Sumerian part of the empire. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to bring the Akkadians and the Sumerians together. But well, yes, that was what her her father was definitely in, the one who first created that empire to join the two. Yes. Okay. But now she is not a priestess of either Anana or Ishtar. She's a priestess of the moon god who did you say? What was his name again? Yes. Nana was the name of the moon god. Nana. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's awfully close to Inanna. Or the is Nana it's, it's, and Inanna related? I mean, is that like a, you know, a yeah. consort? Well, no. Nana was actually Inanna's father. Okay. In the in the story of the gods and goddesses. Okay. Okay. So so yes. Nana is is Inanna's father. He's a god. She's yes. a goddess. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm following it. And, and I'm sorry, one more time. So she's not the priestess of Inanna or Ishtar. She is the priestess of Nana, the the moon god. 
she's the yeah she's the end priestess of Nana. So she, it's because it see it doesn't make total you know linear sense the way we would sort of understand things because the gods are all very is a fluid relationship with them all and they can be moved around into different positions of power. Um, on the sky god was typically at the top of the pantheon, and he's sort of the grandfather of Anana, so to speak, but she's often seen as his consort. So there's this very unusual way how they intermingle in the stories. And... Um, um, so though she's not a priestess of Inanna, Inanna wouldn't have a priestess. She would have a priest. I see. Because be, he would be married to her, so to speak. Okay. But they don't even have records of that so much. It's, hmm. it's very, you know, yeah, they don't have records like they do of the end priestess of Nana. It was almost because I think that that was considered the highest priestly position for whatever yeah. reason. It doesn't make total sense, you know. We don't have, yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't match how they all had priests and they had the names and the ends and all that sort of thing. But well, end priestess or priest is considered the highest level of priests and priestesses. Well, it's it's all so fascinating, and you know, in that yeah. part of the world in that time period, I guess because of Zachariah Sitchkin and and all of the ancient alien stuff, you know, you have to admit it's provocative. You know, it, it's it very is, provocative. Yes. Yeah. Well, I I am uh, I am going to take the time to go on YouTube and um, and try to see uh, your video, because I would love to see some of the pictures. Uh, of all yeah. of this, you know, I, I think that would make it, um, you know, so much more, um, you know, so much richer. Yes, I, I thought, I'm so sorry, I thought you had seen it, um, but I guess I hadn't put it on YouTube yet or something. No, I don't think so, because, you know, I, when, yeah. I I knew you way back when, you know, and yeah. um, I, and I'm thinking, now this might sound crazy, but you and I may have first met each other, and I knew about you, you know, being the expert in uh, in Hedwana. Uh, in, uh, in, 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 in you know, I want to say before we were all on the Internet. Could that possibly be? You know, I, well, no, because I was, using the internet to research her. Okay. But did we know each other before that? How did, I don't even remember how we met. I <laughs> know, <laughs> we go back a while. You know, we sort of come in and out of each other's life. It's, it's uh, you know, over the years, it's been, uh, it, it, it's been interesting. Well, uh, you know, I am, I am, uh, I'm so happy you're going to be uh, sharing this at the Joseph Campbell Roundtable. And you know, now I'm almost thinking, gee, maybe we ought to look at the documentary. I mean, so that people can actually see the pictures. But we'll talk about that. There's time, you know. Yeah, there's, let's uh, talk about it for sure. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I, I think seeing everything, um, unless you have some other visual aids, seeing everything will will make this all so much more, I think, interesting and uh, you know, and relevant. And um, you know, I and I and I just keep thinking about ISIL out there. You know, just having destroyed Palmyra, I think they did um, do some destruction in Iraq already. Um, it it it's uh, oh, wow. it. it 
it's it's crazy, you know, that all of this is, uh, you know, at, at risk and, you know, in peril because of these, these crazy people. Yep, I know. It's... Well, uh, Michelle, anything else um, you want to say about her or, um, you know, her as marketer, as inspiration for you doing your work well, or yeah, anything I haven't yeah, thought you. to ask? I just wanted to say one more time, I'll reiterate again, and we didn't quite say it yet, is that she is the first person to write in the first person. Oh. And, yes, and so uh, that, I think, is really what grabbed me, was that she was willing to speak of herself in the first person, and I know that that's what made her accessible to me, and how whenever I read anything, when they talk in the first person, you know, even if it's about science, if somebody is talking in the first person, that somehow I can understand now whatever they're talking about because they're including their own personal experience. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is, you know, the best way to market and to teach is to include your own personal experience. Yes. You know, yes. it's just far more like human almost because you know, I think people relate to you so much more I mean I, I was just on a panel this past weekend and you know talked about you know my personal I you know I the I story and uh, yeah. I, I think um, it yeah I think it, in, it not only endears you to people but um, yeah. you know it's like Isis you know they said Isis was an accessible goddess because she understood you know the suffering of humankind in a way it's almost mm. the same thing it 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 brings in a different level of uh, connection i think exactly like hearing your personal story to you know all that you've done with the egyptian and isis i mean you're and going to your house and seeing how much you live and breathe this goddess you know it's mm-hmm. just so makes understanding whatever you're talking about so much more alive. Yeah, yeah. Well, well tell me, did you finish with uh, In Hedwana? I mean, is there any more to know? Do you still, you know, keep mm. up with things? Or have we, you know, has, has academia exhausted, um, <laughs> you know, what they can find out at this point? You know, it's it's a good question. I, I was trying to find out a little bit more if anything new was out there. And there isn't a whole lot, actually. Um, there hasn't been much since that I know of. Of course, I was obsessive at the time, and I was uncovering as much as possible, and I haven't been as thorough of late. But, um, yeah, there there might be, but I don't think that much. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm thinking about these clay tablets, and, you know, I've never really stopped to think about this before, but... Um, mm-hmm. So you have these clay tablets, and I, I'm thinking this through. And tell me if I'm, you know, if if I'm going askew a, a here. But in okay. order to to write on a clay tablet, the clay must be soft, I would imagine, right? Yes. Or it, so it they're is, not chiseling right. into hard. Um, no, no, you're right, and and that's what's so good about my documentaries. And I actually have footage that I stole from another documentary. A little snippet where there's a there's a, a wooden stylus being pressed into a little moist but thick clay tablet, and mm-hmm. those then were dried. 
Right. And so, and you know, and I, I guess I'm just, I'm imagining, you know, we, we just take writing for granted. We write on the computer. We write on paper. But, in or, you know, imagine having to write a book on clay tablets, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and then you've got to wait for them to dry. I mean, I wonder what that process was like, you know, exactly. how long it actually took before the clay tablets could be distributed or something, you know? That's right. That's right. And then yeah, imagine a library of clay tablets. Uh, you know, you know, we 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 say now, okay, get rid of your books, just put everything on, you know, on Kindle or put everything on uh, on a on a disc uh, to save right. space. I mean, imagine a library of clay tablets. I mean, <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, they, you know, in, in these in these uh, libraries and and you know schools where they have all these tapes clay tablets they're all wrapped up in in these drawers and they're labeled and they have to be cared for very you know specially and in fact in the documentary you do see how that's done a little bit and then you do see there are replicas that they use to study as well they make replicas well and i would think you could probably almost get rubbings of them too maybe you know they do that as well yeah, yeah, that might be well. possible. Well, and yeah. you know, you were talking about they found a new cylinder seal in a private collection. You know, yeah. it just makes you wonder what else is out there. You know, exactly. that that people don't even know they have. You know, they bought That's something as a trinket because they wanted, you know, something from the Middle East. And imagine the secrets that we might be able to um, uncover if. We could get our hands on all of that stuff, or just the Vatican, or the Vatican vaults. You know, they may have something on her as well. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Pope Francis to say, "We're going to open the Vatican vaults." (laughs) Oh my God! Wouldn't that be wonderful? (laughs) Oh wow! Wouldn't that be something? That I would. Pay serious money if I could find some. You know, or 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 send uh, send a representative that uh, uh, would know what they were looking at. Uh, you know. Oh, anyway, I'm I'm uh, well, teasing myself is, terribly here, but <laughs> I know, Karen. But I think also what what so what this brings up is that you know we may never get all the actual physical evidence of these things, and that's why I think that you know academia has contributed to us knowing this. You know, the whole ancient aliens people are contributing, and then there's our own intuition and connection and our own meditations and tuning in to that sort of the Akashic records of all of this, where all this is actually stored. You know what I mean? Where yeah, you start yeah. your own hunches and and they may not be proved by anyone, but they're, they are valid if they mean something to you. Well, and did you say early on that some of the Zachariah Sitchkin mm-hmm. stuff was channeled? Did I understand that right? No, sorry. I His and, and sorry, his name is Sitchin. I, I I think you're adding a K at the end. I just wanted to. Um, okay. So yeah, he he actually got all of his information from translating clay tablets and interpreting okay. the stories and myths. Like all of our mythology comes from these clay from this there the Sumerian mythology. Okay. There's, you know, and so he retranslated them. And got this all these different messages out of it. So he really didn't use channeled information, whereas there are people who were channeling this stuff 
and getting information that corroborated what he was saying, and it was pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I went to a class once, and, you know, I I, I have to admit I'm the skeptical Virgo, and I tend to be <laughs> a little um, slow to just swallow yeah. You know everything yeah. whole enchilada, you know. Uh, right. But I was at a I, I was at a um, a workshop once where a girl channeled Sekhmet, and mm-hmm. she swears she did not even know who Sekhmet was before mm-hmm. she channeled. And if she right. was telling the truth, I have to admit that hit me scratching my head. And and she said that Sekhmet um, it, when she was channeling Sekhmet, Sekhmet said that she was from the stars. And uh, uh-huh. I mean, I know there are people who believe ISIS is too, you yeah. know. And yeah. you know, then then you have this, you know, Inanna. Exactly, and that's exactly yeah. what what Sekari was saying is that all this stuff, it's always from the stars, and you know that's where he started to re look at what everything was, you know, the the other way of interpreting what was being said. Because if you believe there's no such thing as extraterrestrials, then you will interpret these Sumerian tablets a certain way, the way mm-hmm. that most scholars do. And he yeah. came in and he started to see, oh, there's another way to look at this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, look, some of the ancient alien stuff, I mean, they bring up good points, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, you know, like there's some artifact in Mexico where it looks like a guy is sitting in a spaceship. Um, right. And, you know, and, exactly. and other things, you know, exactly. other things. Exactly, yeah. and they, I know it's fast. That show is fascinating to reinterpret archaeological stuff. It's just like fun. <laughs> it's like, oh wow, let's look at it this way now. <clears throat> well, and and you know, talking about marketing yourself, do you realize what they have done? I mean, they will, you know, they can take probably a, just a tiny little idea and turn it into yes. a whole hour-long episode, you know. Yes. <clears throat> they yes. they have just taken this information and stretched it <clears throat> in yes. all possible ways because they're still making new shows and they've been on the air for how many years? I know. You know, but I you know. get to the it's... point where, you know, th- then there's the flip side of this too, Michelle. You know, I yeah. think we're, we, you have to be careful because, you know, that expression, well, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If you're a mili- you know, right. if you're a soldier, everything looks like it's, it, you know, the only way to solve things is with war. You know, I, yeah. I think sometimes they get to the point where they really overreach. But, um, yeah. but they, but they don't always, you know. No, I agree. There's, there's, and and also what I'm finding is that they kind of dramatize in this way where they make it seem like, oh, my God, it's, you know, they, they, they like there's this drama and negativity sometimes. Even though they're into the the, the aliens, there's this negativity and fear around it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's necessary. And it's And to me, it's like, okay, let's believe that they happened and let's move on to the future now. Let's go connect with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I tried to get the Sukalakis guy, you know, the one with the hair. Um, I tried yeah. to get him on the show, and I really yeah. came close. But every time oh. I tried to book him, he was off making some other film. But I may uh, still get him one day. <laughs> oh, that would be wonderful! I think he's, he's incredibly entertaining and devoted to this subject. Well, you know, I, I I tried to pitch him on the idea that I'm interested in an alternative history. And okay. because, you know, to, to a lot of people, goddess 
um, goddess stuff is alternative history, you know? It is. Yes, it is. No, you're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. It's a great angle. That's brilliant. Yeah. I like <laughs> well, we'll you see. How about Send some good energy. <laughs> yeah, I will. I totally will. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michelle, thank you so much. Um, is there? Um, have we covered it all? Do you want to um, give the name of your website or anything like that before we say good night? Sure. The um, Nhedwana research pages. Uh, let me just give that exact website because, okay, so it's angelfire.com forward slash M-I forward slash Nhedwana, just as you spell it, N-E-N-H-E-D-U-A-N-N-A. And to get the priestess guide to video branding, go to michellewhiteheart.com forward slash priestess dash guide dash to dash video dash branding. Okay. <clears throat> well, and if anybody has any trouble, they can just email me and I'll put them in touch with you. And, um, Good. You know, and, yeah. the, and yes, in the documentary, there's a link to the documentary on the Nhedwana website. So it's really easy to get to the documentary from there. Okay, wonderful. And uh, and I look forward to your talk at the library on the 25th. And, um, mm. you know, we'll we'll chat about the, you know, if, if maybe you should show the documentary. Because if we have two hours and the documentary is only 40 minutes, maybe it's a possibility, you know? It could um, be a possibility, yes. I, and what I'm thinking is to break it. It already is in sections. And so we can watch a section and then have Q&A. And watch yeah. a section and have Q&A and so on and so forth. And so then people are integrating it as we go. And um, it just yeah, it might you know, be a great way. Yeah, our society is so visual now, you know. Um, I know. I, 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 I think they really appreciate having something to look at. So, all right, because we'll have to get with the librarian and make sure she can support the technology and all of that stuff. So um, right. you know, we'll, okay. we'll talk. Well, okay, Michelle, Karen. thank you so much um, for for bringing the world uh, in Hedwana, and um, you know it, it's it's all you, good. <laughs> you are so welcome. It's so fun having these conversations with you, Karen. I love your, I love where you go. I so appreciate all of your expertise and wisdom in these alternative history. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thank you, thank you so much, and it and it makes. You know, it makes it easier to have people like you out there. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, good night. Have okay. a great weekend. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you, too. Bye. Well, it is about that time. We're going to be crossing the threshold and just have a few little things to share. I'm not going to keep you too late tonight. Um, speaking of goddess, I wanted to quote uh, my beloved honey, uh, my my husband Roy, of uh, over 30 years. Our anniversary is uh, not that far away. He says, uh, goddess is not a religion. It's a way of life. You don't have to go out and kill someone for her. You have to go out and love someone for her and love yourself. You know, when he came up with that, I was so proud of him because, you know, he's he's not the writer in the family. Um, you know, I, he, he, you know, I just wanted to give him a hug. Um, also, I wanted, since the Pope is, uh, you know, the Pope is going to be here soon, and uh, we're going to hear all the good things that this Pope has to say, which are so much in sync with, I think, some of the ideals of goddess. Uh, I wanted to just remind you what the Pope said about capitalism. This, this Pope, Pope Francis, 
He said, uh, capitalism is threatening the survival of human civilization. Capitalism is destroying non-renewable resources for personal gain. Capitalism has lost its ethical code and has no moral compass. Capitalists worship the golden calf of a money god. Capitalist pursuit of personal wealth destroys the common good. Capitalism has no respect for Earth's natural environment. Capitalists only see the working class as consumers or machine tools. Capitalism is killing our planet, our civilization, and the people. All so true. All so true. And, uh... You know, I, I I could barely stand to watch uh, too much of the Republican debate last night. Uh, I know they touched briefly on um, uh, on climate change, and uh, you know it's it, it's so ridiculous when you think about it. They don't um, they don't want to think about climate change. They don't want to change and potentially you know, lose money because they're worried about climate change. I mean, such, uh, you know, such short-term thinking, you know. Um, if we're not around 100 years from now, if, if life suddenly, uh, the quality of life suddenly deteriorates because, you know, the oceans rise, the temperature's hotter, uh, refugees are spilling over borders because suddenly their land is no longer inhabitable, um, you know, it, it's going to cost them money that way. So, you know, I don't know. I just, uh, I just get so frustrated with the, um, the lack of facts. And um, I really, I think I'm angrier at the Republicans more than I have been because they want to tout this idea that, uh, you know, now suddenly they care about the middle class. And they'll say it over and over and over again. We care about the middle class. But when you examine their policies, their policies, they got nothing for the middle class. You know, Carly Fiorina, you know, with Hewlett-Packard, you know, they shipped thousands of jobs overseas. And, um, you know, well, I guess if if she becomes a serious contender, that will become more well-known. But uh, anyway, I digress. Uh, but, you know, you might have seen that uh, my man Bernie Sanders was on the cover of Time magazine. And um, uh, Bernie is actually who I'm putting my hope and energy behind. And uh, uh, 12 things he wanna do, wants to do quickly, uh, I'll, I'll read them quickly, is invest in schools, roads, bridges, and airports. I think that would be a good idea considering they're all crumbling. Uh, he wants to make a transition from fossil fuels to renewables. He wants to make it easier for workers to join a union. Because remember, it was the unions that built the middle class, even though the unions have become, you know, have been demonized. He wants to raise the minimum wage and not 50 cents over the next five years, like some of the Republicans are talking about. What is 50 cents going to do for you? Over the next five years, seriously, are they going to give you 10 cents more an hour this year and 10 cents more an hour next year and 10 cents more an hour the following year? Give me a break. What, you know, in what world would that make any significant difference in your life? Um, he, Bernie Sanders wants equal pay regardless of sex and gender because you know what? Um, women are more than 50% of the population. Women are the breadwinners in lots and lots and lots of families. Um, 
you know, it, it's been proven that, uh, uh, I mean, this, these aren't the days when the man was the only breadwinner, so the woman, you know, was just a second income. And this idea that uh, white women make 80 cents on the dollar and black and Hispanic women um, make less, I mean, that's just unconscionable. And do you see Carly Fiorina talking about that? Nope, nope, nope. So, you know what? It's not what's in your genitals that makes you do the right thing. Uh, not, you know, any vagina in the White House just won't do. Um, Bernie Sanders wants, ref- uh, wants to reform trade policies that send jobs overseas. Yeah, I mean, these companies that are sending all of our jobs overseas, they should be paying high penalties for that. That They really should. Where's their patriotism? Um, he wants to make college affordable because you know what? In Europe, college is free, you know? And here, what happens? Kids get out of college and, you know, they're paying off their student loans for the rest of their life. Why? Because of capitalism. People want to make money off them. Um, he wants to break up the big banks. Um, he wants to make health care available to all. He wants to expand Social Security, Medicaid, and food stamps. He wants to reform the tax code and close corporate loopholes because you know some of these corporations don't pay taxes at all. And when they do, they pay less than you and me. You know, it's it's ridiculous, but they've gained the system. And, of course, he wants to overturn Citizen United and restore the uh, democratic process so that uh, we don't you know, continue down this road uh, of an oligarchy. And, you know, before you say that that all of this is too much to do, there's not enough money, look at how he intends to pay for it because he is not a man to put this stuff out if it's not doable. It's just people are going to have to pay their fair share and maybe the rich are going to have to pay a little bit richer, uh, I mean pay a little bit more. But you know what? They already got more than they can ever spend and they're just not going to miss it. And... I feel like that is their obligation uh, when you're part of a society. If you have more, then you have, you know, you, you have a responsibility, I think, to society. I really think you do. I don't think you should just hoard it. So that's me, and that's my two cents. And uh, one final thing before I say goodnight, uh, I want to remind you that um, about Joe Carson's new book, uh, for some time, I described her film, Dancing with Gaia, by Joe Carson, and uh, she's written a book called Celebrate Wildness, uh, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path, which has just come out in a new expanded second edition. And Stephen Posh, uh, author of uh, Radio uh, Paganistan, Folk Tales of Urban Witches, um, he said it's a scintillating new book by filmmaker Joe Carson uh, that gives access to Fred Adams' 50 years of life work. Uh, It's rapturous poetry, erotically charged ritual, glowing surreal paintings, and an overall vision of a human culture utterly defined by wilderness, eros, and goddess. Sounds pretty cool, don't you think? So, um, uh, Celebrate Wilderness is available from the Farrah Faria website at farrahfaria.org, and that's F-E-R-A F-E-R-I-A. Well, uh, my voice is just about run out. I'm starting to get a cold, so I'm going to have to say good night, my dear listeners. But uh, I hope you've enjoyed tonight's show. I hope you will go to Michelle Hart's YouTube um, site and see more about um, Enhidwana. And um, 
let me hear from you. I love getting your emails. And please, if you can, uh, if you can spare a little change uh, now and again, uh, please go to my website, karentate.com, and go to the PayPal button uh, at the Goddess Store page and uh, check out my books. I would love it if you would buy a book, and I'll sign it to you and uh, or make a monetary donation if you can of any amount. Because remember, if 100 of you send $5, what a difference that could make for me. So thank you very much. And um, let's see, let me close with a uh, little music tonight. Um, how about Awaken by Alea Deo? Here we go. Enjoy.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.